Jack, Levi, the book club from hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with the book club from hell, an international support group for unreformed literary masochists. Sometimes the universe smiles at you. Levi sprung something really special on me for this episode. The Eye of Argon is a heroic fantasy novella written in 1979 by Jim Tice. Mr. Tice was 16 at the time of writing, and the story is so much better for it. Following the exploits of Grigna the Barbarian, this story is a distillation of pubescent male fantasies. Unbridled violence used to solve every problem, with passionate but meaningless sex to reward each problem solved. What really brings this story to life is the prose. It's so over the top that it passes through overwritten territory and emerges on the other side in some place unforgettable. Levi and I are far from the only ones to have enjoyed this novella. Since being first published in Ozfan 10, the Ozark Science Fiction Association's fanzine, it has attracted attention for its unforgettable characters and beyond purple prose. Apparently a fixture of science fiction and fantasy conventions, participants read aloud from this text, competing to see who can make it furthest into the text without laughing. What many of this work's critics miss, however, is that no matter how absurd the prose and how paper-thin the characters, this remains an unquestionably entertaining piece of writing, something desperately rare in the world of literature. So, friends, roll for initiative and enjoy. I really enjoyed this one. <laughs> this might be the first thing for this podcast that I actually enjoyed reading. <laughs> so, so dumb. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> so bizarre. I went in totally blind. I didn't know what the Eye of Argon is. And apparently it's notorious, at least in... Quite a niche crowd. Extremely niche crowd. <laughs> yeah, you... Well, you uh, sent me a message with a link. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sent me a link linking to this, and I just opened it and started reading it. <laughs> it's really, really I bizarre. love it. It's, it's on the internet archive as if it's it's worthy of being archived for the, for the whole of humanity to have uh, free open access to. And look, I think, um, I think so. it is in the public domain right now, like, because uh, 50 years, it's been more than 50 years since its publication. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just wait until Amazon gets the license to this and makes a TV show based on the Eye of Argon. <laughs> who do you think will be cast, cast as Grigna? <laughs> Grigna. Uh, who would be good? Who'd be, I would say back in the day. Who's like at El Cheapo Conan? <laughs> Who's the El Cheapo Conan? <laughs> like um, maybe the guy who lost to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Pumping Iron, Lou, Lou Ferrigno or something. <laughs> Wasn't he the Hulk? <laughs> yeah, he was I'm pretty Hulk. sure they painted him green <laughs> and made him the Hulk. Green, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would need to be some sort of bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ronnie Coleman or Kai Green. Oh, you know- given... Given Grigner's personality, I think probably a second tier bodybuilder who's hitting <laughs> no. trend too hard and is getting real trend rages would Jason, be Jason, 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 Jason Genova, Jason Genova. <laughs> It'll be Grigner, Jason, him Grigner. or Big Lenny, Jason. Uh, no, I think Genova as, big, is Grigner. <laughs> 
I think Big Lenny would be a better Grigner because he's really tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lenny. Big Lenny is Grigner. <laughs> Big Lenny. <laughs> and uh, so if, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Big Lenny looks like, just search Big Lenny on Google or on YouTube. No, your search engine YouTube. of choice. <laughs> Watch yeah, look at what Jason. is Big Lenny and come back just so you can have in your mind what Grigner looks like. <laughs> Distended gut. <laughs> so much GH abuse. <laughs> He's the Tom Platts of abs. <laughs> just what, what fucking chemical do they put in their skin? Those, like, yeah, the, melanotan. Yeah, melanotan. Use <laughs> melanotan that every now and then he looks like he's black. <laughs> and he's just jaundiced. He's just so much. <laughs> fucking yellowed up. Fucking Bright eyes. yellow eyes. <laughs> fucking crazy guy. Yeah, that's Grigner. So, high level introduction for our audience. Uh, this is our second, our second um, fiction book. Third. Third? Depends on whether you count harassment architecture and gothic violence as oh, as, a single as works of fiction or oh, yeah, as, yeah. as Mike Ma saying what he believes in a, a loosely literary format. Oh, okay, I'll take it as third. Fourth if you count um <laughs> if you count Wisdom of the Dolphins as fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so Which this, we don't. Which we don't know because it's fact. Um it's quantum mechanics. Yeah, so um basically I was just scrolling through Amazon trying to find just a a weird book to send Jack. Um, and I stumbled across The Eye of Argon. I was like, hmm, okay, what, what do the reviews say? And some of them were like, this is just horrible. And some of them were like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> this, is so, this is so bad. It's, it's like the room of, um, of fantasy fiction. <laughs> it's, it's so yeah, bad. I, there's that's a, not an unfair comparison. There's a group of people who just get off on how bad it is. <laughs> and it, it was written by this guy. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Jim Thies. Thies. Jim Thies. T-H-E-I-S. He wrote it when he was 16. So I think it's important to bear in mind, while reading through it, it was written by a teenager. It was written by a child. And <laughs> that in itself is impressive because how many 16-year-olds sat down and wrote, well, it was 27 A4 pages or something. 27 yeah. pages of it's a story. story. A little short story. Yeah. How many yeah. adults have done that? So he's... I haven't done that. <laughs> yeah. The, sto- the story you. is pretty ridiculous. But at the same time, we need to bear in mind, it was written by a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's written by a high school student. <laughs> He's playing too much. Did. And did, why did he stop? This is the only thing. If you look up his name, if you touch some Jim Thies into Google, his name, he, he called, it's, it's, he's listed under author and the only book next to his name is the Argon. Imagine this is your Apparently legacy. Apparently he wrote another short story. On the internet. Which I hope he I did. I think he wrote another short story. But if he did, I'd probably read it. I, I really enjoyed the Eye of Argon. <laughs> This is not a hoax. Yeah. Yeah. So, should we uh, do a high level overview and maybe we just like pull out some quotes and there's not much to talk about? (laughs) I think the best way, the best way to do this would be not quite, not a read through, but effectively we'll just walk through the story for the listener. No matter how richly descriptive our language is in the South Clare Franco <laughs> paradigm, the practical female psychology over analysis of 
of language <laughs> usage, no matter how rich and descriptively, richly descriptively, we talk about the story. We're not going to spoil it. Even if you listen to us spoil the entire plot, you'll still really enjoy this work if you read it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you should go and read it yourself. It's pretty fun. It's good. I liked it. It's short and very, very fun. It it starts, starts with an action scene. We're introduced to our hero, Grigna, from... He's an accordion, I think. Yeah. Not an so accor- basically not an accordion. Grigna- He's not a walking instrument. Accordion. No, an accordion. Yeah. E-C-O-R-D-I-A-N. He's in the Norogolian Empire. He's a barbarian. It's immediately noted <laughs> several times that he's really tall and really muscly. And he's going towards Gorzom, which is a Norogolian city. He's on his way to Gorzom, there's a bit of background, because he was in the Samarian city of Kryn, but because he was too wild there, because he slept with too many women, killed too many people, he had to leave. (laughs) And this will be an ongoing theme for Grigna. Grigna is... Jim Thies, I'm sure, saw Grigna as really cool. Grigner is just a massive fucking liability. He's he. I I went back through the book. I don't think there's a male character he meets whom he doesn't kill. I think he kills every male character he comes across and cracks on to every female character he yeah, comes yeah. across. Like this He's just a this guy is just a walking wrecking ball. He's just such a dysfunctional human being. He's, he's reflexively violent, a borderline sexual predator, or would be if all of the women in this book didn't love his advances. Yeah. The, guy, the guy's just unhinged. <laughs> completely poor maladjusted. He, he's what a 16-year-old would like to be able to act like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, the story starts with Grigna killing three mercenaries. I'm not sure why. They yeah, there's no him. there's no reason stated. It's just they're in straight into open combat. Yeah, yeah. He just he just starts chopping off people's heads. He do- he loves decapitation. He cuts off some heads. I think he rips off a head with his bare hands. <laughs> and I'll give some. I'll give a quote to give you an idea of what reading this story is. Because what makes this story special is the prose. It's actually not badly paced. It's quite snappy and quite fast. Which is which is impressive for a sixteen year old to make a story move like that. In terms of the plot, there are there are a few oddities, but it's not disastrous. What really makes this story is his prose. So <laughs> and, and, and the when he and when I wrote them down, because it's full of weird spellings and things like that. Initially I tried to render those faithfully in my notes, but eventually I I couldn't be bothered and just started spelling everything properly. But yeah, here we go. So he's just killed some of these mercenaries. Grigna's emerald green orbs glared lustfully at the wallowing soldier struggling before his chestnut-swelled mount. 
His swirling voice reverberated over the dying form in a tone of mocking mirth. You city-bred dogs should learn not to antagonise your better. Reining his weary mount ahead, Grigna resumed his journey to the Norigolian city of Gorzom, hoping to discover wine, women and adventure to boil the wild blood coursing through his savage veins. So this is a man not averse to adjectives. I find his descriptions of eyes are consistently excellent. He very rarely calls, calls them eyes. They tend to be tend to orbs sockets. or orbs. spheres. Or... And he... What's a, what's a good analogy? Uh, you know, like that Middle English way of speaking or that a, a, fan, a bad fantasy game. You know, like Morrowind or, or like... Mm. Or even... Um, What's it, the Prince's Bride or something? So he, <laughs> the first bit of text, dialogue, some some uh, mercenary says, prepare to embrace your creators in the Stygian haunts of hell, barbarian. Only after you have kissed the fleeting death, the fleeting steed of death, wretch. <laughs> <laughs> have you noticed too they all call each other sluts? Yeah, he doesn't. It's a really common insult. Everybody's a slut. He yeah. calls the priest a slut. <laughs> Damn you, barbarian. <laughs> Thou hast well, need to occupy one? your time, barbarian, questioned the female. <laughs> before that, before he gets to the tavern, though, I found a quote about why he was kicked out of um, Krim, Krin, the Sumerian city. So... The trek to Gorzom was forced upon Grigna when the soldiers of Crin were leashed upon him by a faithless concubine he had wooed. His scandalous activities throughout the Cimmerian city had unleashed throngs of havoc and uproar among its refined patricians, leading them to tack a heavy reward over his head. He had barely managed to escape through the back entrance of the inn he had been guzzling in as a squad of soldiers trounced upon him, after spilling a spout of blood from the leader of the mercenaries as he dismembered one of the officer's arms, he retreated to his mount to make his way towards Gorzom, rumoured to contain hordes of plunder and many young wenches for any man who has the backbone to wrest them away. <laughs> it's a walking liability. He's just like assaulting people. And he's like, I'm going to go to the next town and cause some havoc there. Gorzom... <laughs> I feel like Gorzom is a real anti-hero because he's really not a likable person at all. But it, he's presented in this story as just the coolest person imaginable. Yeah, this is uh, if you've ever played D and D, this is like who every barbarian character wants to be. He just sort of rolls around, walks into a tavern, and just starts punching people. <laughs> He, he he rolled like uh, an eighteen for strength and like a two for wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah even, though, even though he had three. Uh, guys. <laughs> Grigna's not the smartest guy. <laughs> right. So in so the second chapter, he gets to Gorzom. Yeah, and he goes into a tavern because because he likes his drink. This is what you do when you're in what a kind high of fantasy guy, setting. You go into taverns. <laughs> Grigner is, and immediately, I'll read a quote. A faint glimmer sparked from the pair of deep blue ovals of the amorous female as she motioned towards Grigner, enticing mm. him to join her. The barbarian seated himself upon a stool at the wench's side, 
exposing his body, <laughs> naked save for a loincloth, brandishing a long steel broadsword, an iron spiralled battle helmet, and thick leather sandals to her unobstructed view. So this dude's just walking around in a loincloth and a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's just dangling his his sword off his like loincloth, like just just his sword. I don't, why would you bother wearing a helmet if you're not wearing anything else? What's the point? Just for the looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Grigna's all about fashion souls. Then again, isn't he that what, immediately um, Conan... just wait. Starts... When did Conan come out? Maybe he was just inspired by Conan. <laughs> In film, original film. Yeah, so Grigna just immediately starts having his way with this woman. He says, You make love well, wench, admitted Grigna as he reached for the vessel of potent wine his charge had been quaffing. But then disaster strikes because a soldier bursts in and tells Grigna that this woman whom Grigna has found is actually the soldier's woman. <laughs> so Grigna's first response is just to decapitate this guy. <laughs> he just chops his head off. Uh, which is obviously not a very pro-social thing to do. And he gets in trouble with some, <laughs> some, some guards. Yeah. <laughs> and he, they basically say he, he turns around wanting to fight the guards. And he, they basically say, hold up, mate. Are you sure you, are you, sure you want to do that? Because there's a bunch of them. And he deduces logically and goes, hmm, yes, maybe I, sh- I should do this right now. I will wait. I'll bide my time and go with them and kill Have them later. The, the, quote, <laughs> the quote for that's really good. So, no, no, go on. Have you got it there? Well, there are two quotes then that I have to read because the first one is him, is the description of Grigner chopping off the guy's head. With a nauseating thud, the severed oval toppled to the floor as the segregated torso of Grigner's bovine antagonist swayed, then collapsed in a pool of swirled crimson. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, as Levi was saying, he's surrounded by this guy's friends. And so, Grigner weighed his position, observing his plight, whereupon he took the soldier's advice as the only logical choice. To attempt to hack his way from his present predicament could only warrant certain death. He was of no mind to bring upon his own demise if an alternate path presented itself. The will to necessitate his life forced him to yield to the superior force in hopes of a moment of carelessness later upon the part of his captors in which he could effect a more plausible means of escape. <laughs> this guy's pretty verbose. So how, just... did, how did he? How did he? He turned that like, oh yeah, I'll wait until a better opportunity later. <laughs> it's like stacked paragraphs. He was preparing for his yeah. high school certificate English exam in creative writing, and we haven't gotten to the point. I'm not sure he's made up words yet. There are a few points where he's just started making up words, <laughs> which, to his credit, you can kind of work out what they mean. Because they sound about right, but there are a lot of new words (laughs) in this short story. So the soldiers take Grigna to the, is he the prince? Or they keep calling him sovereign, prince, noble. I think he's a prince. I'm going to assume that he's just like the ruler and... And and Jim Thies was just yeah. looking through the thesaurus for different words to use for like king, ruler, sovereign. <laughs> 
Yeah. But anyway, this is Prince Agafim or Lord Agafim or whatever. Or no. His the highness. ruler of Gorzom. The resplendent. <laughs> and the description of him. Uh, the man upon the throne had a naked wench seated at each of his arms and a trusted advisor seating, seated in back of him. <laughs> or in this story, the, the gender segregation is such that men exist to be brutally murdered by Grigna <laughs> and women are sex objects. But that's... Those are the two roles of humanity. <laughs> and he's even got little, like, little illustrations that he added. Yeah, the illustrations are really good. I'll, I'll read one paragraph. And to give people an idea, if, if it hasn't come across yet, uh, he's extremely verbose. He, he likes to add adjectives to just about every single thing. So... yeah. Uh, um, uh, I'll read this see, see if it gets the point across um, At each corner of the chamber A guard stood at attention With upraised pikes supporting their hands Golden chainmail adorning their torsos And barred helmets emitting scarlet plumes Enshrouding their heads The man rose from his throne to the dais Surrounding it His plush turquoise robe dangled loosely From his chunky frame <laughs> His plush turquoise robe Dangled chunky loosely frame. from his chunky frame <laughs> You got like you got like four adjectives in there. <laughs> There's this really good piece of um of dialogue between one of the soldiers and Prince Agafim, where the soldier is explaining to the prince why they've brought in Grigna. So explain the purpose of this intrusion upon my chateau. Your sirenity, resplendent in noble grandeur, we have brought this yokel before you. The soldier gestures to Grigna for the redress of your all-knowing wisdom in judgment regarding his fate. Down on your knees, lout, and pray proper homage to your sovereign, commanded the pudgy noble of Grigna. By the surly beard of Mrifk, Grigna kneels to no man, scowled the massive barbarian. <laughs> and then, basically, Grigna is condemned to first a captivity... And then to working in mines. No, first to death and then to captivity and being a slave in, in the king's mines forever. Because he calls the king fat. He just, he just starts making fun of Prince Agafim's weight and gets, gets <laughs> condemned to a life of servitude. <laughs> so it's, it's funny because if you, if you notice that exchange just then... The soldier at no point actually explained to the king what Krikna did. He just said, we brought you this dude. We want you to tell, tell us what to do with him. And then Krikna yeah. just starts insulting him. <laughs> Krikna calls him fat. <laughs> so, and Krikna never helps his own case. I feel like in this story, all of the problems are caused by Grigna. At least Grigna's problems are always caused by Grigna. <laughs> His, yeah. One of the descriptions he doesn't of, help of Prince Agafim is really good. So after, after Grigna called him fat, the paunchy noble's sagging round face flushed suddenly pale, then pastily lit up to a lustrous cherry red radiance. His lips trembled with malicious rage while emitting a muffled sibilant gibberish. His sagging <laughs> flabs rolled like a tub of upset jelly, then compressed as he sucked in his gut in attempt to conceal his softness. 
<laughs> you really liked this, didn't you, Jack? <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> it's just so dumb. So basically, here, Prince Agafim is not named in this part. He's only named after. However, Agafund, Prince Agafim's advisor, is named. Initially, Prince Agafim, having been called fat, says, okay, we'll kill Grigna. And then Agafund, the advisor, advises the prince that wouldn't it be better given that barbarians are known for loving riding their horses under the open sky? They love freedom. Wouldn't it be better to, to chain this man in a basement for a while and then put him to work as a slave in one of our mines? And the prince says, yep, that's a really good idea. I'll do that. And Grigna doesn't like this. When it came to Grigna being condemned to death, he didn't mind so much. But when it comes to captivity, a noble soul such as Grigna's can't abide by that. And so he was a bit shaken by the prospect of an eternity spent in this guy's minds. And and so, so we do have some um, like character development, I guess, psychological mm, exploration yeah. of what it is to be a uh, a, a, uh, Grigna. Uh, a Grigna, a barbarian. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in response to this, it is Grigna, so he does break free of the guards, take one of their swords, and kill Agafund, the advisor, and then someone knocks him out. Yeah, he does. So his case once I feel again. like the guards just brought him in, didn't explain why they'd brought him in. He starts calling the, the ruler fat, and so the ruler condemns him to servitude. And then he kills the ruler's advisor and tries to kill the ruler. This guy's just proving that, yeah, he probably should be locked up. I feel like so far, Prince Agafim's just made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, we don't want this guy running around. It's like Agafim's presumably the bad guy in Jim. In yeah, and he's certainly presented as the bad guy. And he's made much more dislikable later. But at least so far, he seems like the most sensible person here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, in chapter three, Grigna wakes up in a in a dungeon. <laughs> um, I've got a few quotes about how he describes being in captivity. He says, To be forever refused the further glimpses of the snow-capped summits of the land of his birth never again to witness the thrill of plundering unexplored land beyond the crest of a bleeding horizon, and perhaps worst of all, the denial to ever again encompass the lustful excitement of caressing the naked curves of the body of a trim young wench. <laughs> These are some of the thoughts going through Grigna's mind when he wakes up in captivity in pitch darkness. <laughs> in a cell. I can't, I can't pillage, I can't pillage, and I can't, I can't have bar wenches. <laughs> yeah, this guy should be in prison. <laughs> I think prison is the right place for this man. Uh, I just can't get over just like how um. Just his language. Uh, I might read a little bit from chapter three, three and a half. A tightly wrung ellipse. So he's in. He's in the. He's in the dungeon. A tightly wrung elliptical circle or torch of no, of torches cast their wavering shafts, prancing morbidly over the smooth surface of a rectangular, rigid altar. Expertly chiselled, chiselled forms of grotesque gargoyles grace the open. <laughs> 
<laughs> Grotesque gargoyles graced the oblique rim, protuberating <laughs> the length of the grim orifice of death, <laughs> staring forever ahead into the nothingness in complete ignorance of the bloody rites enacted in their presence. Because <laughs> this is a weird bit. His, it's just his, like his, non-stop. Um, chapter naming convention gets a bit strange because we had chapter three where Grigna wakes up in a hole. And then there's three and a half where it jumps to some shamans, p- p- like worshiping before this big altar. <laughs> I imagine with a, this is with like a mostly it's naked like cutscene, mostly like, naked lady lying in front of it. This is happening at the same time, is what he's trying to get. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what chapter three and a half is. Because later he has a chapter seven and a half, I think, as well. Yeah, that's what I think. That's my interpretation. It's like, oh, Grigna's in this. Dungeon, and then we switch at the same time. Yeah. Alter with uh, <laughs> with the lady. <laughs> the description of the naked lady before the altar is really good. It's at, at the foot of the heathen deity, a slender, slender, pale-faced female, naked but for a golden jeweled harness, enshrouding her huge outcropping breasts, supporting long silver laces which extended to her thigh, stood before the pearl-white field with noticeable shivers travelling up and down the length of her exquisitely moulded body. <laughs> such 16-year-old that, energy. That, that was one sentence as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was no full stop in there. When, when you get to a sentence like that, you just try and do it in one breath and <laughs> see if you can get it in a single breath. <laughs> yeah, he... Anyway, so Grigna's plotting he's he's sitting at the bottom of this pitch black pit trying to work out how he's going to get out and an <laughs> opportunity an presents itself yeah he's he's clever so, he rolled a 20 on this <laughs> on this intelligence check <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's <laughs> what happens grigna threw his hands up to shield his face and flung himself backwards upon his buttocks a fuzzy form bounded to his hairy chest, burying its talons in his flesh while gnashing towards his throat with its grinding white teeth, its sour, fetid breath scorching the squirming barbarian's dilating nostrils. Grigna grappled with the lashing flexor muscles of the repugnant body of a gargantuan brown-hided rat, striving to hold its razor teeth from his juicy jugular as its beady eye, as its beady grey organs of sight gla- <laughs> glazed, not gazed, glazed into the flaring emeralds of its prey. <laughs> and so yeah, he gets attacked by a rat. He gets attacked by a really big rat. <laughs> with with grey, beady grey organs of sight. <laughs> he gets attacked he by a rat. He rips the rat's head off with his bare hands. Again. Decapitating things. <laughs> just... He really likes decapitation. <laughs> With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming, squirming torso, sending out a sprinkling shower of crimson gore. Oh, no, I should... Okay. Okay, Jack. <laughs> With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming torso, sending out a sprinkling shower of crimson gore and trailing a slimy string of disjointed vertebrae snapped... Tracheal esophagus, jugular, disjointed hyoid bone, morose, purpled, stretched hide, and blood-seared muscles. Okay, that was one breath. That was not too bad. <laughs> that was one breath. That was one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and this, 
had it has a passing is... interest in an in anatomy, <laughs> mammalian anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the parts where he demonstrated, uh, yeah, so, some sense of building tension because Grigner has an idea. Grigner knows how he's going to get out of this, but the reader doesn't. James or Jim doesn't tell you how Grigner's going to get out of this, but Grigner says to himself, "This plan might not work, but." But this is the only chance I've got. Either that or I'm going to be a slave in mines for the rest of my life. And that's that's not what I want. So that shows some craft when it comes to storytelling on behalf of the author of this. Yeah. Yeah. Then it goes back to the shamans who are threatening this almost naked woman in front of a jade idol. And basically... It looks like they're going to sacrifice her. Probably going to sacrifice her. He says, Her face was redly inflamed from the salty flow of tears spouting from her glassy dilated eyeballs. In this, at this point, he got quite close to describing them as eyes. Eyeballs is quite close to eyes. They're not orbs or <laughs> Did you notice anything like that. Dilated eyeballs. Like her pupils aren't <laughs> dilated. Her eyeballs are dilated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, she she gets back at the priests, though, or these shamans or whatever, because one of them is manhandling her, and she kicks him in the balls. And his, descri- his description <laughs> of how this guy responds to being kicked in the nuts was so good. So, the startled priest released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist, overlooking his recessed belt, wide open in a deep chasm. His face flushed to a rosy red shade of crimson, eyelids fluttering wide, with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their (laughs) outmost perimeters, while his lips quivered wildly about, allowing an agonized wallow to gust forth as his breath billowed from burning (laughs) lungs. His hands reached out, clutching his urinary gland as his knees wobbled rapidly about for a few seconds, then buckled, causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg-huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his agony, (laughs) (laughs) clutching his urinary gland. (laughs) (laughs) This guy, he veers between... Extremely understated descriptions of things. Understated to the point of non-existence, like how the guards just won't tell Prince Agafim why they've brought in Grigna. And then other times, such, such overdone description, like the description (laughs) of of a shaman being kicked in the balls and falling off. (laughs) Yeah. And it's at this point, actually, that I think it's here where the Eye of Argon, the titular object is first introduced it's this big red sapphire embedded in this jade idol that that this naked woman is lying in front of and the shamans are are surrounding yeah so we get back to grigna now (laughs) where he he escapes what happens is the soldiers throw down a rope to grigna and Grigner climbs up the rope. <laughs> Take hold of That's this rope, said the, the first soldier, and climb out from your pit, slut. 
That's the ones calling each other slut. <laughs> Grigna's a slut. The guards are slut. Like the priests are slut. The kings are slut. <laughs> the kings are slut. <laughs> I wonder whether it's because this guy read an older book where that was an insult, like a much more common insult. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe, I mean, it was the 70s. Maybe it was a, is it? Is it an inherently sexual insult? <laughs> I assume it is. I, t- I, would have, I would have thought so, but I, re- I don't know the etymology and history of the word slut, unfortunately. <laughs> it's one of my many failings. <laughs> anyway, Grigna, Grigna gets out of this pit and the guards say, oh, I really like this bit. This was further further character development of Grigna, demonstrating that Grigna's a big scary man because the guards kept saying amongst themselves, well, you, you better tie this guy's hands really tight because he's really big. He's really muscly. <laughs> he's a really scary looking guy. <laughs> Grigna escapes by slashing one of the guards' throats with the with the pelvis he took from the rat, he took the, <laughs> the pelvic bone from the rat and sharpened it and stabs one of the guards with it and then strangles the other guard. And that that was his brilliant escape plan. <laughs> his escape plan was just to kill the guards. <laughs> using using the weaponized bones of a, of a rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty clever. Come on. Got to give yeah. him that. He's not just a pretty face, right? <laughs> Old Grigner. <laughs> um, let me see. Anyway, yeah, he puts on he puts on one of the guards' uniforms and starts wandering around Prince Agafim's castle or chateau. He calls it a few different things. Again, I think he just looked in the dic- in the uh, thesaurus and it's just like synonyms for castle, <laughs> chateau, yeah, yes, on <laughs> probably. And again, it's a sixteen-year-old boy. Doing all of this so he can write a story. So I'm I'm quite impressed. He put in a lot of effort. I think it's yeah. <laughs> I mean it's it's, it's the famous. Story is it's weirdly really, famous. <laughs> it's really fun to read because it's it's just bonkers. The <laughs> language in this story is just bananas. <laughs> anyway, so Grigna goes into what looks like a storeroom. And then springs a trap there, accidentally. Except he dodges it, because he's, <laughs> he's Grigna. He's Grigna. <laughs> like, the, dis- the description. He took a subclass in Rogue. <laughs> the description of of Grigna, of Grigna's ability in evading the trap is really good. If not for his keen auditory organs and lightning-steeled reflexes, Grigna would have been groping through the shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten body <coughs> trap, a mistake which would have stunted the perusal of longevity of one less agile. We <laughs> <laughs> just get the overwhelming sense that Grigna is... Uh, a force to be reckoned with. He's not a normal human. It's just a force of nature and a malign force as well. All he does is run around <laughs> killing people. A malign force of nature is the greatest anti-hero. I want there to be a Grigna film made. Don't you reckon that would be so good? <laughs> Make a video yeah, game of the Grigna. <laughs> Grigna video. I think Grigna would actually be quite 
a suitable video game protagonist because most games try to make you like their character in cutscenes by making them look cool or make them witty or something like that. But then in gameplay, they'll kill hundreds of people. They're just <laughs> mass murderers. So I feel like Grigina would actually be a very good fit for a game because just inherent to being Grigina is this unquenchable thirst for violence. He just <laughs> does not stop. He just loves being violent. <laughs> So there'd be no dissonance from that perspective. There should be a Grigna game. There <laughs> probably is, so actually. Fun. When you consider the overlap between people who go to fantasy book conferences and people who make games, there probably is at least one Grigna game. God, wouldn't it be fun to make video games? It'd be fun. No, apparently it's hell. No, I do indie game development. If you don't have to worry about it, like worry about it as like a financial thing, just do it as a hobby. I reckon it'd be fun. Make your own little worlds. Make, maybe make Grigna. It's fun. Playing around. Playing around <laughs> Grigna game. Unity's Unity is fun. Um, you could probably at least make a Quake mod. Or do you reckon we could mod. start a Kickstarter? A Kickstarter to fund the development of, <laughs> of a Grigna game. <laughs> Get like, sometimes these, these Kickstarters blow up for these indie dev games. I was watching. And we can just disappear with the money. <laughs> they raise like $300,000 or something to make an MMORPG. It's like, you, you, didn't, you don't know how much it costs to make an MMORPG, do you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so should we move on? So he, he discovers this booby trap, right? And creates a... Uh, it's actually a portal, is it? Uh, let me see. Yeah. Well, yes. I think it... His description of the booby trap was it's some sort of catapult thing. And in triggering the mechanism, it revealed a floor beneath the one that Grigna's on. And so Grigna jumps down there because... He's, oh, no, he's meant to be trying to escape, but he escapes in a pretty weird way. So he, he walks into a broom closet, triggers a booby trap, which is in the in a storeroom for some reason, and then sees that there's a level below revealed by a sprung booby trap and goes, oh, yeah, I'll go that way. That surely will lead out, even though he's yeah. going down. <laughs> so as we've established, Grigner's not the smartest boy. He's, he's very strong and very violent. But not very clever anyway. So he jumps down there and he sets the trap again just in case just in case someone's gonna follow him. And this this will be important later. This is Chekhov's gun. This shows a mastery of the craft. Grigna resets the trap, so you know the trap's gonna be important later. And this is where a bit more character development takes place for takes place for Grigna or barbarians in general. He finds himself in a tomb and barbarians are apparently very scared of the supernatural because, as, as Jim says, Grigna's great at chopping in half or decapitating physical enemies, but what are you meant to do with a ghost? What are you meant to do with something that's beyond this mortal plane? And Grigna's scared because he starts hearing this noise, this wailing noise coming from one of the tombs and Grigna being Grigna, despite being scared, despite not knowing what he would do to fight against a ghost or, or whatever, he opens, he opens up the tomb that he hears this wailing coming from. And he, he notices that, so there's someone's dead body in there, 
and Greg just gets the body and throws it out. <laughs> and notices that underneath the body is a trapdoor. So he opens up the trapdoor. I just like that that's his first response to opening up a tomb and finding a dead body. Just to throw <laughs> it, it out behind him. He opens up the bottom of this tomb and... This is where the two plot lines meet. The Grigner plot line and the the naked lady being sacrificed Sacrificed to a pagan deity plot line. He sees them. He sees the circle of of shamans surrounding this woman. And one of them has a mallet. And he's getting ready to 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 kill her. And is this the is this his heroic moment to rescue the uh the uh the princess? He's saving the princess. Exactly. <laughs> so he's just stealing another wench. <laughs> as as we've established, I'm pretty sure Grigner kills every man he comes across in this story. And given that all of the shamans are men, you kind of know what's about <laughs> what's to happen. happen. <laughs> he's just, just going to go full diehard on it. Just kill everyone. <laughs> so the, the quote is so good. So Grigner jumps down through this trap door in a in a tomb. And in the face of the amorphous, broad-breasted female stretched out alluring, alluringly before his gaping eyes, the universal whim of nature filing a plea of despair inside of his white-hot soul, Grigner acted in the only manner he could perceive. Giving vent to a hoarse, throat-rending cry, Grigner plunged into the midst of the startled shamen. I should add... Shaman. His plural of shamans is shaman. <laughs> Plunged into the midst of the startled shaman. Torch shimmering in his left hand, an axe twirling in his right hand. And so he just starts, he starts killing. killing people. He just, and I love that he even was. Grigner acted in the only manner he could perceive. Exactly. So this shows... This, this is further... A further demonstration of what it is to be a Grigner, what Grigner's subjectivity is, that if he sees a broad-breasted female surrounded by men, the only thing he can do is just start killing the men. And uh, this is how ter- the, the next paragraph is funny as well, because he's so terrifying, Grigner is so terrifying, some of the men will spontaneously just die themselves of fear. A gaunt, skull, a gaunt skull-faced priest standing at the far side of the altar clutched desperately at his throat, coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. Lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol, writhing agonizingly against the hideous image, foam flecking his chalk white lips. The priest struggled helplessly, the victim of an epileptic seizure. <laughs> so just the sight of Grignard coming at you. Grignard, <laughs> have, have a seizure. Have a seizure and just die. No, he doesn't die. This is really, this is, this is important. <coughs> Grignard thinks he's dead because Grignard's a... A simple man and doesn't know anything about seizures and things. So Grigner assumes this guy's dead and leaves him be and kills everyone else. <laughs> you ejaculated the accordion. So he has a really strange use of the word ejaculated as well. Yeah, he says. So anyway, Grigner kills everyone. And then as Grigner lifted the girl from the altar, her arms wound dexterously around it, about his neck soft and smooth against his harsh exterior. 
Art thou pleased that we have chanced to meet once again? Grigna merely voiced a side grunt, returning the damsel's embrace while he smothered her trim, delicate lips between the coursing protrusions of his reeking maw. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this woman actually is the, the woman he met in the tavern at the beginning of the story. That woman whom he saw across the tavern went over and just started groping her that the soldier complained that that was actually his wench and this is the soldier that Grigna decapitated kicking off this whole escapade so Mm. they've been reunited and I like that so she until a few moments ago thought that she was going to be sacrificed to some some pagan god then suddenly Grigna bursts in murders like 10 people in front of her and then starts bashing her. That's the first thing they do. They're made for each other. It's just Grigner up and down. She likes a dangerous man. He's a bad boy. There's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this funny idea that, uh, that, like, you can look at look at uh, search engine patterns of like women and men to see have some idea of like what women and men are into in general like broad sweeping strokes and like uh like porn searches or whatever and because some of the uh i think this is actually from a book published by people at google who analyze this stuff um and women like had this uh kind of four classic buckets of like doctor fantasies or something or like high-powered executive pirate was one of them <laughs> and like uh you know like, like Bad, but a vampire or something was was the other one, and then just I can just like imagine Grigna. It. Grigna. So there's all the women are going to Pornhub and typing Grigna, Grigna. <laughs> some Grigna porn. I want to see him slaughter some pagan priests. <laughs> Take me by the arm. <laughs> anyway, he finally gives this woman a name. So <laughs> it's in this great piece of dialogue. The dialogue in this book's very good. What are you called by female? <laughs> Carthena, daughter of Mikados, Duke of Barwago, whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorzom. I was paid as homage to Agafim upon his 38th year, husked the femme. And I am called a barbarian, grunted Grigner in a disgusted tone. I... The ways of our civilization are in many ways warped and distorted, but what is your calling? she queried bustily. Grigna of Accordia. <laughs> Bustily. Ah, I have heard vaguely of Accordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the Norgolian Empire. I've also heard Agathim curse your land more than once when his troops were routed in the unaccustomed mountains and gorges, saith she. I, my people are not tarnished by petty luxuries and baubles. They remain fierce and unconquerable in their native climes. So... I feel like here we're getting some links back to the back to say the Unabomber Manifesto in the rejection of technology and civilization <laughs> as something that people. fundamentally weakens. I feel like Grigner in another life could have been the Unabomber. <laughs> he certainly <laughs> All he had was a loincloth and enough. a broadsword. <laughs> yeah. And he'd just sit up in the mountain with the other accordions just killing people. He's just leading that Anne Prim life in Accordia, in the hills. Every now and then goes to a city to kill the city folk and steal their women. 
So okay, let's move. He so Carthena knows Prince Agafim's castle really well because she was she was one of his women for a long time, and he liked her, so he let her wander around the castle. So she knows how to get out. So she's leading Grigna to the exit. The reason that she met Grigna earlier, they flesh out a bit of the backstory, is because she escaped. I think she killed a guard and escaped and went to the tavern because she said that only lower-ranking soldiers go there who don't know what she looks like. And that's where she met Grigna. And Grigna, given that he never, he never causes problems, he just solved them, <laughs> made a, a huge fuss by decapitating a soldier there. <laughs> Which must have flooded the place with other soldiers who did recognise Carthena, who brought brought her back to Prince Agafim. And then she was imprisoned by Agafim, and then one of these shamans came and killed the guards guarding her cell and took her to a part of Agafim's castle that Agafim didn't know about to sacrifice her to a pagan god. Under the eye of Argon. <laughs> oh yeah, I should say actually. It I mean it should go without saying. Grigna saw the eye of Argon. It's this giant red sa- it's a sapphire, I think. Well he said a giant it's a red, red sapphire, sapphire. Which I yeah. don't know if sapphires can be red, but I don't know enough I don't know about, rocks, about it. So but anyway, I'll give it to Grigna sees it rest immediately steals it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course because, <laughs> he because immediately he steals it. It's fucking Grigna. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to take I glossed that. over that part. It's actually quite important for the plot. It's just, it's it's so in keeping with Grigna's behaviour. This is an example of how you make a good character where <laughs> everything he does, you could have predicted he'd do. He's got such a strong personality, Grigna, that you know when presented with the Eye of Argon, he will just steal it. Now, should we, what do you reckon? Should we, should we, um, because it's coming up to the end of the book. Like, do do we spoil it? Do we give sp- or do we say? Uh, yeah. Do we say spoiler spoiler warnings? Anybody here? Spoiler <laughs> Just, warning. But if you want to go and read this book yourself, pause here and come back later. It it's actually really short, <laughs> and then listen to us talk about it. Um, even but- if it is, even if you do listen to a spoiler, go read it anyway because. Yeah. So much of the fun of the book is in just how bizarrely written it is. <laughs> okay, you've been warned. Now we continue. <laughs> yeah. So let me see. There. Yeah. Anyway, so direction. They find some tunnel, some secret tunnel, full of the dead bodies of tortured people, and this is Agafim's torture chamber, I guess. And any <laughs> the entire time. Grigna and Carthena, or Carthena, I don't know how to pronounce her name, are talking, and Grigna's just constantly got his arm around her waist or is groping her and things like that. Because he just can't <laughs> help himself. <laughs> yeah. uh, and actually... He, he complains about women talking too much. Not not Grigna, but the author. He says, Carthena cast her eyes downward and ceased any further pursuit towards conversation, an irritating habit in which she had gained an amazing proficiency. 
It's a sixteen-year-old boy writing in nineteen seventy. It's just <laughs> essence of sixteen-year-old. <laughs> anyway, they so Grigner hears someone coming. He hears footsteps and says, "Oh, we've got to hide." Carthena says, "No, I don't hear anyone." But Grigner knows better. He says, "You don't hear it, lady." But listen, I'm Grigner. When I hear something, it's there, and so. They hide. I'm pretty sure. So he he flattens them both against a wall, and I'm pretty sure he you know, grabs a sneaky bit of a boob or something like that. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> while he's pushing her against the wall, it's it's Grigner. So it's Grigner relating to a woman. So inevitably, it's sexual. <laughs> and here's one of here's one of the big plot twists. So Agafim, the prince is walking through the torture tunnel. And who's he with? He's with Agafond, the advisor, whom Grigner killed quite recently. <laughs> Agafond's back. This is never explained. And it just... I, Grigner is shocked that Agafond is still alive and then immediately kills the two of them. And Agafond coming back to life is never brought up again. And, Grigner, Grigner straight away kills Agafond. I think he wounds Agafim and Carthena has a torch and just jams it into this guy's face and burns his face and kills him in the bad way. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And yeah, so I guess this is a, a char- some character development for her. She gets... Because she killed a guard earlier, but now she really sadistically kills someone. So that's that's Grigner's influence rubbing off on her. She spent that's too much time her, around. That's her revenge. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's wild, wild girl. Um, yeah. The fact that Agafon came back to life is briefly noted and then never brought up again. So I I don't know what to make of that. I think we can just. Just leave that behind. You hope that Agafond is truly dead this time. I also like the the conversation between Agafond and Agafim before Grigner falls upon the two of them exists to make sure that you know that these two are really bad people and Grigner killing them is a good thing. So they say, But the peasants are showing signs of growing unrest. They complain that they cannot feed their families while burdened with your taxes. I shall teach those sluts the meaning of humility. Order an, imme- an immediate increase upon their taxes. They dare to question my sovereign authority. Ha ha. They shall soon learn what true oppression can be. <laughs> I really... So it's so good. People complain about taxes being too high. So Agafim's response, so that you know that he's really bad, <laughs> is just to increase taxes. <laughs> yeah, and then they get outside. When they get outside, finally, they escape They escape the castle. And this whole time, Carthena didn't know that Grigner had stolen the Eye of Argon. And they get out, and the first thing Grigner does is pulls out the Eye of Argon and shows it to her, like, <laughs> like a proud six-year-old. Like, hey, check out what I stole. <laughs> Look at this. And she's... She's horrified. She knows something about the Eye of Argon that he doesn't. And it transforms into this blob 
that starts sucking Grigna's blood. It's like a leech, like a blob leech. <laughs> There's a good quote. Then the hideous transgressor of nature flowed towards Grigna, a trail of greenish slime lingering behind it. The single gap puckered repeatedly, emitting a ghastly sucking sound. Grigna spread his legs into a battle stance, stealing his quivering thews for a battle royal. I think he means battle royale, but it's just for a battle royal, royal with a thing yeah. he knew not how to fight. Carthena wound her arms about her protector's neck's neck, mumbling, kill it, kill, while her entire body trembled. <laughs> 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 The image of Grigna the badass. I'm <laughs> thinking a, a loincloth and a helmet. <laughs> With a woman With hanging woman. off his neck yeah, yeah. telling yeah. him to kill some slime monster <laughs> that he's squaring off against. That he brought upon himself because he couldn't help but steal, <laughs> steal the jewel. He kept, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's only here because he kept stealing stuff. <laughs> All of Grigna's problems are of Grigna's making. <laughs> so he, he kills he kills the monster by <laughs> plunging a torch. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, he plunges the torch yeah. into it because uh, it's it's immune to just being smashed with with a with 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 like a sword, <laughs> with swords or <laughs> which is is how you foil a barbarian, right? In D and D, is like you present them with like a slime monster and they're like oh no i can't slash it now what do i do (laughs) the death of this slime monster is really well described he says (laughs) with a slushing plop the thing fell to the ground evaporating in a thick scarlet cloud until it reattained its original size it remained thus for a moment as the puckered maw took the shape of a protruding red eyeball the pupil of which seemed to unravel before it the tale of creation how a shapeless mass slithered from the quagmires of the stigmatic pool of time, only to degenerate into a leprosy of avaricious lust. In that fleeting moment, the grim mystery of life was revealed before Grigna's ensnared gaze. I really like this, that Grigna discovers the meaning of life. In this dying Having, having killed the Eye of Argon, and it's just never mentioned. <laughs> And then, and then finally, it says, the thing was gone forever. All that remained was a dark red blotch upon the face of the earth, blotching things up. (laughs) Just blotching things up. (laughs) And and then Grigna rides away with Ardina on a horse. Just, it says, Grigna tossed the limp female over his shoulder, mounting wind, chucks her around. Rides off into sunset on his steed, <laughs> and that's it. That's the end. Kills kills the bad king, kills the eye of Sargon or whatever it's called, and then takes the woman. Rides off to the next tavern to assault some people. Is Grigna went to this city because he got chased out of a previous city because he was causing trouble. He kills a bunch of people that he meets outside the city, goes to the city, starts trying to have his way with a woman, decapitates a guard, gets sent to prison, kills a bunch of people in prison, finds a some secret cult of Argon, kills everyone else there, kills steals the, king. the eye of Argon, which turns into a monster. He kills that too and then just rides away. 
probably to cause problems More somewhere problems. else. He's probably going to go to another city, do exactly the same thing again. <laughs> oh, I totally forgot about the epileptic priest. You know, the one <coughs> who had a seizure when he saw Grigna. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Grigna didn't kill him because he thought that guy was dead. And so when he and Carthena were, were walking out of the dungeon, this priest picked up a sword and went to attack Grigna, except he triggered the trap that Grigna had reset and dies. It was kind of an anticlimax because he started building a bit of tension with, oh, well, there's this guy here who, who Grigna thinks is dead, but he's not dead. And then he just he just springs a trap and dies. And Grigna and Carthena both say, oh, okay, well, <laughs> that guy's <laughs> oh, dead. And then walk off. He needs to type some loose ends. He needs to type some loose ends. Um, so what were, your th- <laughs> what were your thoughts going? I mean, what were your thoughts overall, having read The Eye of Argon? <laughs> I really enjoyed The Eye of Argon. <laughs> would you recommend <laughs> it really to good. read? Do you, would you recommend it for, to our listeners to go and read? <laughs> I'd recommend it to a specific type of person. To enjoy this book, you need to have an appreciation of the frivolous. <laughs> so, some people will read extremely purple prose and just, oh, how do I put it? You need to be able to enjoy the absurdity of the prose, just how overwritten it is. You need to be able to enjoy a character as... <laughs> dysfunctional as Grigna. Someone who's someone the whom for whom the entire book exists to make him look really cool, but nonetheless is just a human disaster. This guy <laughs> this guy should be locked up. And it's kind of like um you know William Shatner in in uh in the first series of Star Trek, just the overacting is just so ridiculous. Like if you if you're one of those people who kind of gets off on on over bad overacting, like Chapner, um, yeah, you might enjoy, enjoy the overriding in this. It was nice because it was room, very short as well. That movie is is a good one. In that, if you could, if you enjoyed that movie because it's so bizarre, yeah, then you probably enjoy this because the prose is just batshit insane. It's, it's so strange. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, and and given that it has become this weird cult classic, it's kind of... It's weirdly successful. <laughs> it's become a weirdly mm. successful little book. This, is, this book that this 16-year-old wrote 50 years ago has now got this online cult following. Yeah, I, I liked it. I would, I'd recommend it to most people so long as they know what they're getting into. I liked it. I, I do feel bad for people, though, who go into it knowing what it is, because I went in totally blind. I'd never heard of this. You just sent me a link to it, and I opened it and started reading it. <laughs> I just sent him a link. I just like, here's the reading for this week, mate. Have fun. Yep. <laughs> no no context. That, That's that a good way experience. to do it. I, re- I feel like we should just take turns doing that. Just like, no context. Every now and then, you just send just me a book. I'll send out. you a book, and we'll just, like, just see if we can blindside each other. <laughs> yeah, no, good. <laughs> Um, I don't yeah, really have so, much to say. It's just we've said it all. It's it's fun. It's it's silly. Um, no anti-Semitism. Which for no, this no podcast, anti-Semitism. Yes. I just really liked it because I like. I used to play D and D, and it just reminds me so much of the barbarian to my friend Tyson used to play. 
<laughs> he just played these obnoxious barbarians who would always just assault people and just steal things. And our entire group would just be like, no, don't. And his name was Dunder, Dunder the Barbarian, the Orc Barbarian, had like an aid intelligence. <laughs> and every time we'd be in some situation and we're just like, Dunder's... Was that his name? I'm pretty sure that was his name. Dunder would be like, Dunder's going to fuck this up for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I great. think that's every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, next book. What Do we have the next one lined up yet? Or have we got to figure it out? We we actually have a list. We have a, a timeline of what we're meant to read and we keep ignoring it. So I yeah, really don't know what we're going to do next. Hey, but uh, we have three people in Discord now. Come join us in the Discord. We've got a recommendations channel. So if you want to recommend us books, we've gotten some interesting recommendations already that we oh, have really? never heard of. Yeah. So maybe we'll... One of them one was Suicide by the West by Oswald Spengel, wasn't it? Which is far too much. Um, <laughs> that'd, that'd be quite an undertaking. That that would take more than a week to read. <laughs> yeah, no, there's some shorter ones in there. Um, there's this weird one uh, called a Steel something or other Steel. It's, it's about... Um, Something about like, uh, it's it's an the autobiography of a German soldier from World War Two. So it's like the war from his German soldier's perspective, and he's like getting off. He like he like really likes the war. <laughs> apparently, I don't know. Apparently, it's really weird. So we might read that at some point. That was a recommendation from the audience. Um, yeah. Anything else? That's all from me. It was really fun. A little short little book. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>